0: Two words, perspective and courage. Perspective and courage. They're two words that we're going to hear a little bit about this morning. And two words that God willing, by his spirit, he's going to impress upon us this morning. Encourage us with and encourage us particularly to to live through. To live lives with perspective and courage. Let me share a, a couple of stories with you about 500 years ago during the protestant reformation there was lots of stories like these but one in particular i want to share with us this morning the story of of two men hugh latimer and nicholas ridley latimer and ridley were uh, pastors uh, and prolific evangelists they were uh, christians who at the time were, were proclaiming the gospel the good news of jesus christ and the problem was at this time, the government, the country of England, at that time was ruled by those who held fast to the Roman church. It was Roman Catholic. Now, whereas Ridley and Latimer were going around and saying the gospel is this, that we are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in and through Jesus Christ alone. They were going to proclaim on that, but that was, that was the opposite or, or, or really standing opposed to what Rome was saying. Rome was saying yes, we kind of believe that, but also you have to do this. You have to pay this way through or do these same kind of works if you want to be saved, if you, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus. And they started going around and really reining these kind of guys in, stopping them proclaiming this gospel of grace. They came to Latimer and Ridley and they basically told them, you need to stop. You need to stop proclaiming that message or you're going to suffer the consequences. But they didn't. They carried on proclaiming. They carried on talking about this, this salvation by grace. And it got to the point where they came and they threatened them with death. And they said, if you don't stop, we will put you to death. But they didn't stop. They carried on proclaiming. They carried on preaching. To the point where their execution was ordered. They were brought out into the centre of Oxford. Oxford. And around them was, was placed wood and kindling. And around their necks, they put bags of gunpowder. They gave them one last chance. Recount to your faith. It'd come to the, to the true faith of the Roman church. But they wouldn't. And so they lit the fires around Ridley and Latimer. History says that Latimer, who's around 70 years old, turns to the younger Ridley and says, be of good comfort, Ridley. For today we will light a candle in England that shall never be put out. The flames engulfed them. One of them died instantly. The other one struggled for minutes, supposedly, before he died. Something about the way that they viewed their circumstances that allowed them to, to show such courage. Here's another story, more recent. We remember, remember? remember his name. Hussein Sudman. Hussein Sudman was born as a Muslim in Iran. One of his favorite pastimes as a child is he would go down to the river and Christian women would come and collect water for the day and he and his little friends would pelt these women with stones. One day they were throwing stones and, and they turned to run away so they wouldn't get caught. He tripped over and gassed his knee. Open. One of the ladies came up to him and instead of giving him 10 of the best like maybe many of us would. She stooped down, cared for him, bound up his wounds, looked after him, didn't even shout at him, just sent him on his way. It had a profound effect on him and and that experience stayed with him until he went to university and eventually heard the gospel and converted to Christianity. Now at that time, it would have been easier to leave Iran and go to Europe or America or somewhere and be a Christian there, but, but he decided to stay and pastor a church. He became a, a, an evangelist in the country. And it was, it was relatively easy at that time, but then in 1979, there was the Iranian Revolution. The government was replaced by hardline Muslims who basically said, if you don't, if you don't believe and if you don't uh, affirm to the Muslim faith, then you need to either get out of the country or suffer the consequences. And so he had this choice, what do I do? And he stayed. He stayed and he trained others in the church and he shared the gospel with more people and more people began to be converted. And and after some time, the authorities caught up with him. And just like Latimer and Ridley gave him an ultimatum. Either you stop or we will put you to death. At this point, he's married. He's got two young children. And he has this choice. What should I do? He gets an offer from churches in Europe. Come and stay with us. Like, Don't risk your life. let this. come and, and we'll give you work over here. And he comes to the decision. No. God's called me to shepherd the people here. I'm going to stay. And so he does. In 1990, he's going out just to do the business of the day. And unbeknownst to his wife and his children, the police take him, arrest him. And they don't even give him a chance to recount his faith. The next day he's hanged and put to death. Officially by the government executed for his faith. Something about the way that Sue man could see everything that was going on around him. And still be able to show courage in the midst of it. Here's another story. The Apostle Paul. I'll read this one to us. It's from Philippians chapter 1. situation for Paul is bleak. It's not too dissimilar to the situation that Ridley and Latimer and Sudman find themselves in. It's bleak. So we talked about this already, a bit of the context. Paul is a missionary. He's used to traveling around. He's used to having the freedoms of proclaiming the gospel. But this time, in this circumstance, he's found himself in prison, not for the first time. He's been proclaiming the one true faith. And he's in prison, we think, probably in Ephesus, maybe in Rome. But wherever he is, he's, he's under Roman guard. And the way that they would imprison him in this circumstance is they would chain him to another uh, Roman soldier. So he was tied up. And specifically, Paul lets us know it was a certain regiment of, of the Roman um, army that he was under the guard of. It was the, the imperial guard. Let me tell you a little bit about these guys. There were 9,000 imperial guards. These were the elite Roman soldiers of the day. They were counted as Caesar's personal bodyguards. But they were a little bit more than that. If you, were, if you were a Caesar, basically you were put there by the imperial guard. If you weren't a Caesar anymore, you weren't a Caesar anymore because of the elite imperial guard. Like They bumped you off and they put you in place. It's a little bit like... I'm trying to think of a modern-day equivalence. You know the 1912 committee of the Conservative Party? Boris Johnson is prime minister, not necessarily because of his own own, um, skills, but because he's been placed there by some people in a back room who are more powerful than he is. They folks are the most powerful people in the country, by the way, not Boris Johnson. And it's the same in Paul's day. The most powerful people in the empire, in the world, were these guys. The elite imperial Roman guys. And they are the ones who are in prison of Paul. he is held in chains by the most powerful people in the world. Like that is a difficult situation for Paul to be it 's hard for him on the inside, but also did you hear what 's going on on the outside like he 's having a tough time inside, but outside there 's equal issues for him outside of the prison gates. Christians are taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment for their own benefit. He says there are those who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, seeking to do him harm. And we haven't got time for it now, but but Paul assumes that these folks are Christians. They are preaching Christ in a way, and he counts him among a group of people who are Christians. People who are meant to be supporting him and doing him good. Instead, they're opposing him. They're looking at Paul being in chains and thinking, We can can benefit from this. We can can seek our glory and promote our name. Push Paul to one side and make a name for ourselves. And so that's what they do. Paul is in a desperate situation. Here's the key part of this passage. Look down at verse 18. Paul says, this is the situation. This is what's going on. And then, in verse 18 he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. What then? The translation of, of those two words is literally, so what? So what? Yes, I'm imprisoned. Yes, they're taking advantage of me and seeking to do me harm. So what? Or Scousers might say, "And what? What about it? There's something that Paul knows. There's there's a way that he's able to see his situation that enables him to live in the the reality of the suffering and the trial and the the opposition that he's in. And still to say, it's okay. It's okay. The thing that makes the difference for Paul, folks, is the gospel. The gospel is mentioned just in these few verses in in one way or another, four times. And just to remind us what we're talking about here when we talk about the gospel, we can think about it in kind of six simple steps. First, that we are created by God in his image for his glory. That's why everyone is created. To to show the beauty of his character, to, to display the goodness of who he is. That's why we're created. We're created for his glory. That's number one. Number two, because we're created for his glory, we should live for his glory. We should live to to love God. We should live to treasure God. We should live to obey his commands because we are created in his image for his glory. So we should live for his glory. Thirdly, unfortunately, the Bible says none of us can live up to him. We all fall short of the glory of God. Because we are sinful in our nature, we cannot show the beauty of God. Because we are corrupt, we are sinful and we oppose God. Because that is true we stand opposed to God we stand condemned by our sin and that means before him we are guilty and he righteously justly condemns us to an eternity away from him and we don't like the word folks but well, that place is hell being punished for our sin the good news is The good news is that God is a merciful God. He is a loving God, not wanting that any would perish. And so he sends his son to live the life that we couldn't live. Jesus does show the beauty of God. Jesus does display the glory of God in the way that he lives like we couldn't. Jesus lives the life we couldn't live. And then he dies for us. So that we can say, Christians can say there's no condemnation for us. Because it's all been poured out on Jesus. God sends his son because he is merciful to take the penalty of our sin. So that our relationship with God can be restored. And we no longer have to spend an eternity away from God in hell. But we can have an eternity with him in peace. And number six. I've run out of thumbs and fingers. Number six. The good news doesn't end there. The good news is he offers that life to all of us. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He resurrects. And he offers eternal life to every single one of us. And if we don't believe, we need to accept that offer and believe. Folks, that is the gospel. And I need to say, it is a living truth. It isn't just something we can just confine to a book. is isn't just historical fact. It is a living truth. something that, that lives today that we can give our life to. Something that we can believe in that will change our eternity. And for Paul, the gospel... Those things I've just summarised there. The gospel changes everything. Now he isn't blind to the suffering that's going on around him. He doesn't ignore the situation that he's in. It's like, it isn't like he doesn't imagine that God that he's chained to. Or he just blocks out everything that's going on outside the prison gates. He knows what's going on but he sees it. He sees it with a different perspective. I'd like to call it a gospel perspective. He sees the difficulties of a situation... With a gospel perspective. So he sees. It's no accident where he is. It's no accident that he finds himself in prison. Actually he sees him being in prison as an opportunity. What does he say? To advance the gospel. He sees him being in prison as an opportunity for the glory of God. Because when the gospel advances. God is glorified. And folks it was the same for Ridley. It was the same for Latimer. It was the same for Suman Hussein. They see the situation that they're in with a gospel perspective that allows God to be glorified. They see opportunities around them for the advancement of the gospel. And folks, we can do the same. We can have that same gospel perspective that allows us to see our situation in a way that doesn't see it as defeat, in a way that doesn't see it as being overcome by what's going on, but sees it as opportunities to advance the gospel so let me just share a few examples of what this might look like for us we had our first alpha this week now in the run up to alpha we did some social media we pushed it out and we got six and a half thousand people look at the advert over social media that's incredible now in one way you could kind of look at that and say well how disappointing that we only had a group of just a handful of people come onto alpha online on Tuesday Raxley, that's so wrong Firstly, we had a great time. Secondly, the people who came heard the gospel. There were unbelievers with us who heard the gospel. Thirdly, six and a half thousand people now know that there is a church in Lark Lane. Six and a half thousand people now know that there are people gathering right now in Lark Lane who care for their souls. Like that is a gospel perspective. We don't need to look at that and think, oh, how disappointing that not many people came. We look at it and think, wow, look what God has done. Here's another one, I was having a conversation with someone in the life of our church this week and we were talking about a situation, a sad situation where there's been a breakdown in a marriage and and someone has walked away from the marriage and it's a horrible situation and we were just reflecting over it. And in one way we could look at the situation and we could think, "Well, well, what about me? Maybe I could go in the same direction. Maybe my marriage is under the same threat. Maybe, maybe I need to pray to be protected from those sorts of things. And yes, that's right. But actually a gospel perspective would say, look at the, look at the encouragement. Look at the, the power. Look at the light that your marriage could bring into that situation. Don't be fearful when we hear about that things. Take a gospel perspective and think, how is God going to use me? How How is God opening up an opportunity for me to advance the gospel in this situation? Here's another example. We just need to look at the cross. The cross from the outside looks like defeat. The cross from a universal perspective looks like the greatest trauma that humanity has ever experienced. Actually God takes it. And uses it to advance the gospel and brings about the greatest good. See, that's what gospel perspective does. Things on the outside might look grim. Things on the outside might look like defeat. It might look like we're being pushed back. But with a gospel perspective, we're actually able to see opportunities being opened to advance the gospel and to see God glorified. Folks, I want to encourage us in the situations that we're in to have a gospel perspective. Like we are all struggling in some shape or form. We are all facing opposition in some shape or form. But we are not defeated. Have a perspective that sees the situation that you are in through the lens of the gospel. Where there are opportunities all around you to advance the gospel and to glorify God. One of the ways that we do that, I'd say the thing that we need to be able to do that in fact. To be a people of courage. Look down at me again at verse 13. Paul says this. Let me start at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is in chains. And the chains that he has been placed into, uh, to the guards that are with him and to everyone else who is looking on, they are a sign and a symbol of Paul's submission to Rome. They are Roman chains. He is in a Roman prison. He is under a Roman guard. And as as the guards, as the imperial guard look on at Paul, they see him under submission to Rome, under submission to Caesar. But that isn't how Paul wears his chains. Remember what he said back in chapter 1, verse 1? He said, I am a servant of Christ. I am a slave, the literal word is, of Christ. He says that as he's wearing Roman chains. He says that as everyone else thinks that he should be a slave to Caesar, a servant to Caesar. But Paul wears his chains differently and says, no, I am a slave to Jesus. I am a servant to Jesus. And all of the imperial guard get to hear about it. Do you see that? 9,000 of the most powerful soldiers in the world get to hear that there is a man who is in that prison in Ephesus. Who isn't in submission to Caesar. But is in submission to someone called Christ Jesus. And not only the guard, Paul says, and the rest of them. We don't even know who that is, but it's obviously more people. People. Whether it's the other people in the prison, whether it's the rest of the church, we don't know. But there are a lot of people. Paul says, "No, that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ." And we know, don't we, by Paul's character and what he's already done when he was in Philippi, he's not sitting there keeping his mouth shut, is he? Like he's not just sitting there thinking, "Okay, guys, chain me up. I'll just sit here quietly and just just wear this one up." No, what's he doing? He's going to be singing. He's going to be sharing the gospel. He's going to be living out the gospel. These guards and everyone else is hearing the gospel from Paul. And, and I, I believe and I'm sure we can all come to the same conclusion. Many of them, I'm sure, were impacted by it. We're transformed by it. Folks, we need a gospel perspective in the situations that we're in. And we need courage if we want to see the gospel advance. Paul sees that within the prison. Those who are outside the community of God are being challenged by his life, are hearing uh, the gospel, are seeing how he lives in submission to Christ. And those inside the community of God are being transformed. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonments, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The word there can be read as the word of God, or we would say the gospel. All is saying is, I am inside in chains. There are those inside the walls of the prison here who are being impacted by it. And there are those outside the walls. There are Christians outside who are seeing me in my chains. Who are seeing what is going on in my life. And they are being filled with boldness to, to themselves go and proclaim the gospel. And it was the same with Ridley. And it was the same with Latimer. And it was the same with Hussein. As Ridley and Latimer were burnt at the stake, the the church in Rome thought they were suppressing the gospel, but they weren't. In their place followed hundreds and thousands of other Christians who were willing to stand up and proclaim the gospel. And it was the same with Hussein. As Iran executed him, folks, what is the fastest growing church in the world now? The Iranian church. They tried to suppress the gospel and by putting them to death, try and limit the extent and the advance of the gospel. But the opposite happened. In the wake of Hussein's death, many more Christians converted to Christianity. And they saw this Jesus that he was willing to give his life for as the one true God. And it was the same with Paul. As Paul counted the cost of discipleship, as he put his life on the line, many more were emboldened. And they too put their lives on the line. And what you see is this beautiful cycle of the gospel advancing, of people gaining courage as the gospel advances, as people having a right perspective, a gospel perspective and God being glorified. And then and then more uh, of the gospel being being proclaimed and the gospel advancing again and more people getting courage and God being glorified. And and the gospel advancing again. And just this this cycle of the gospel going forward, people having a right perspective of the situation they are in, and God being glorified. And folks, if we want that, if we want to see the gospel advance, if we want to see God glorified as the gospel advances, we need to have a gospel perspective of our situations and we need courage. It was a number of years ago, Elizabeth and I had a a little weekend away in a, a hotel in Chester and it was a Friday night. There was a wedding going on at the same time and we went out. We were in our swim gear because we were going to take advantage of the facilities. So we were walking out um, with our towels and our, our swimming stuff on. And as we walked through the lobby, we could hear a bit of a, a, a kerfuffle going on in the, in the adjoining room. It's where the wedding reception was taking place. We kind of stopped to see what was going on and quickly we realized a fight had broken out and it, it seemed that it was the, um, the bride's father was uh, being beaten up by the best man. I mean, you, you couldn't write it, but it was all kicking off. And the staff didn't know what to do. And it's one of those moments where I, I kind of thought, oh, Elizabeth's watching here, maybe I could, I could get involved a little bit. So I ran towards it and got involved in the scuffle. And I was trying to pull um, the, the best man off, um, off this, this old man. He must've been in his 60s or 70s, was getting proper beaten up by this young fella. They'd had a lot to drink anyway we managed to pull him off some other people got involved and we managed to calm it down and the police turned up oh, and i just wonder just a show of hands if you were there and that had happened like how many of us would just at least have thought i need to go and do something about that and have the courage to kind of get yeah a few hands going up. less than i thought actually Well, wow, there we go maybe that says a little bit about us a lot of us there would have the courage and actually I'd probably say it'd be more of us in the moment there's something I think that just takes over and you, you go into it a lot of us would have the courage to engage in that kind of physical interaction and get involved and come to the need of that old man let me imagine another situation imagine we're on Lark Lane out of lockdown and we're sitting in Polydor or somewhere and we see an old man sitting on his own who looks like he's just struggling with life. I wonder how many of us would have the courage to go to him and share something of spiritual truth with him. Why is it that that we find it so much easier to engage in, in physical elements, but when it comes to sharing something of spiritual significance, we get crippled with fear? I would say maybe there's two things going on. There is a human conflict and there is a spiritual conflict. Like I read in verse 14 down here, uh, those brothers having become confident in the Lord uh, are, are much more bold to speak without fear. Like I see that and I'm like, yes, I want to be there. I want to be those people who are out proclaiming boldly, going to that guy in Polador and sharing the gospel with them without fear. But there's something within me that stops me. There is a human conflict and there is a spiritual conflict, folks. In the spiritual perspective. There are forces and principalities which do not want us to open our mouths when it comes to preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Can I just say as a little aside? You know the reason that many of us find a, a struggle and a trial to come onto Zoom for gospel community and things like that? Why do you think? Like that hour that we spend together, we're spending gospel in one another, encouraging one another with the gospel. There are spiritual forces that do not want us to do that. And it's the same when it comes to proclaiming and having courage to be people who proclaim the good news. And so folks, we need to pray. If we want to have courage, if we want the gospel to advance and God to be glorified and to have courage to do that, we need to pray. Pray that God would strengthen us. Pray that he would help us believe that the cross has won victory over every force and principality in this world. Secondly, there is a human conflict going on. Here's the truth, guys. We love ourselves and we love our glory, don't we? We do. We see that with the folks in Paul, in Paul's letter here, that there are those who are seeking to do Paul harm. He has rivals, people who who are working against him and they love their glory more than they love the glory of God. Folks, I I need to encourage us, if we want to have courage, yes, we need to pray against spiritual opposition, but we also need to pray against our own human opposition. And to do that, we need a greater vision for the glory of God. If we want to pursue our glory less and pursue God's glory more, we need a greater vision for the glory of God. We need to see his character. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of why he is more glorious than ourselves. Why he is more glorious than anything else in the world. Why he is more glorious than our comforts. We need to remind ourselves of that. So can I encourage you this week? If we want to go out of this building this morning as a people who have a gospel perspective and are fueled with courage to advance the gospel. Yes, we need to pray, but we also need to refresh ourselves with the glory of God, which is found in the gospel. So can I encourage you to go there? For those of us who are going through the Bible in a year, maybe you just need to stop and take a break and just read through the gospel of John. Remind yourself of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a kind of short, quick way. It's all the way through the Bible, but there's something about that gospel that just really shows us the beauty and the character of God. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to pray to God and say, God, I don't want to see myself as glorious. I want to see you as glorious. But put my flesh to death that tells me that I am great and help me to see, give me the eyes to see that you are more glorious than anything else in the world. And When we do that, When we are able to see God as more glorious than anything else we will be able to come to the same position that Paul does and say, do you know what? No matter what circumstance that I'm in, even if I'm in chains, even if people are trying to to, to put down my name and I'm losing my reputation, even if I feel so stupid going to that man in Polydor and sharing something of the gospel, even if people think that I'm stupid coming to here on a Sunday morning, even if people say no when I invite them to Alpha or I feel just like an idiot when when I invite them in all of those things, do you know what? So what? What? So, what? In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Who cares what people think of me? Who cares what it costs me? So, what? Only that in every way, Christ is proclaimed, and folks, that is not a fruitless task. What does Paul end with? In that what? I rejoice. Paul is the happiest man in that prison. They think that they are doing Rome a favour by putting him in chains. They think they are stopping the gospel by putting him in chains. They've got it all wrong. Paul's chains actually bring about the advancements of the gospel. Both inside the prison walls and outside the prison walls, and Paul says, "I don't care what it costs. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I am rejoiced."